ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engines running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. All right, welcome to Launchpad Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Matt. And Matt, today we are wrapping up our San Diego Comic-Con content drop. We've been releasing all these awesome interviews, and today we have our last one. San Diego Comic-Con was so much fun this year, dude. I love doing it with you. Even though I only got to go for one day, it was an incredible day. We packed so much into it. We did the panel. We interviewed Kevin Eastman. I mean, we interviewed the Sideshow guys. That episode dropped last week. We had a lot of fun, man. It was so good. And I, I, I'm just really happy that we had such a successful year at Comic-Con. Yeah, dude. And, it, you know, it, it's a lot of fun. And it, it's so, I think, like, we're lucky. Like, we really are lucky that we're able to do stuff like this that we care about. You know what I mean? Like, I'm so happy that yeah. we talk about things like that, like that we care about. But we've been fortunate where a lot of people have come to us for interviews. A lot of podcasts have asked us to come on their show and vice versa. And everybody we've talked to so far has been super cool. And, you know, the books that we've reviewed, the movies that we've reviewed have all been stuff that's like in our wheelhouse that we're kind of interested in. And they've been fun. And I, I think we're fortunate for that. But there's like a, a I don't know if you call it a, like a, a, a fringe benefit or what, but like we get to talk to some people who like we grew up idolizing right steve johnson bart yeah. mixon we get to talk yeah. to people who created stuff that like really was a staple of our childhood like kevin eastman and then we get to talk to legends like dave gibbons and it's so cool because a lot of the times it's like i don't even like i'm excited to always excited to talk to anybody about some nerdy shit but sometimes i'm like okay i'll see how this goes like when you said i got an interview with ann nusenti and i was like i don't really know who that is i knew that by the end of the interview it was going to be awesome and it it was like you got this great interview to hear these people's stories anybody who who has hustled their way through hollywood or writing comic books these are hard industries to work yeah. in and they all have crazy stories and pretty interesting stories and i love hearing everybody's individual path as they go and that's kind of the coolest thing is when you find out hey we're all nerds we've all had a hard time getting into the industry and I have this crazy story about it. Like, that's, to me, it's so cool to hear. Like, when we get to hear Anosenti's stories or we get to hear just nerding out with the guys from Sideshow, like, that is too much fun. Yeah, and, you know, we've done a lot in the last, year, what, what have we been really on? Like, a year and a half or so? We've done a lot of yeah. stuff, and I feel like we've reached out to some amazing people and gotten some crazy awesome stuff. And this is, oddly enough, this is the second time that I got to interview Dave Gibbons for something that I've done with you. Like the yeah. Uh, those of you guys who don't know, Aaron and I uh, tried to create. Well, Aaron really tried. I was just helping you. Tried to create a TV show a while ago that was going to be like a nerd magazine show, and for that I got to interview Dave Gibbons at Comic Con a couple of years ago. It was me and a really cool cosplay girl named Valerie Perez. And her and I were going to host and we, you know, we would be talking to the camera, talking about this, that, the other thing. We would do interviews and stuff. We went to Comic-Con that year and we happened to be interviewing some random person next to where Dave Gibbons was. He was doing something for a, a place called Madefire and they came up to us and were like, hey, would you, would you interview Dave Gibbons? Because this girl, Valerie, had a friend who had a Steadicam rig. So we looked legit and we had mics and we had mic flags and everything. So... We got to, I got to interview Dave Gibbons that year. I think it was like 
four years ago or something like that. It was, but it was awesome. It was so fucking cool to talk to him. We got to talk to him just about, it was about being a nerd in general. It wasn't necessarily about anything that he's done um, specifically, but it was so cool. It was the same year that I actually bought a piece of original Dave Gibbons published Watchmen art that's in issue number 11. And I got to talk to him about that. And then he signed uh, a copy of the book for me, which was like just, when does that happen? That's you know? so cool. Yeah, and it was such a legit interview. That was the same year we met Phil from Famous Monsters of Filmland. That's right. That's right. So we, that was a huge year for us for a TV show that didn't even end up happening. Oh, uh, man. Well, yet. We'll, we'll, we'll tell that story sometime. It, it has it has its crazy ups and downs. But yeah, that was a lot of fun. And that Dave Gibbonson was so interesting because this is the guy who drew Watchmen. He was the artist behind it. And I mean, for those of you who don't know, Watchmen is one of the seminal pieces of comic book media. It is a book that took, in the 80s, it took all of the comic book tropes that had come out at that time about Superman, Batman, vigilanteism, uh, basically uh, American exceptionalism of, of, of us being like, yeah, we're the best, we're super cool, and taking all of that stuff that was happening in the 80s and boiling it down into a superhero story that is really such a masterwork. It is so amazing, and it's really crazy. Like you still read it today and you get so much out of it. This is one of the first comic books to end up on the New York Times bestseller list. Yeah, and it was penned by Alan Moore. And for those of you who know Alan Moore, love him or hate him, that guy can write the shit out of something. And this was really, I mean, he's done some great work. This was his opus. It is just masterfully crafted. I mean, I've read it at least a dozen times maybe, and I find something new, a nuance every Time. It's so layered. It's so deep. But Gibbons's work is phenomenal in it. And I think that with other artists, if they had taken his place in that book, it wouldn't have been as powerful. The, the example that, that comes to mind, I've been, I don't know why, but I've been thinking about this a lot this week. Towards the end, there's, there's this, one character, this one character who is rumored to be able to be so fast and have such control over his body, he could catch a bullet. And at one point, another superhero who's like, a guy in a costume, just a regular guy with no superpowers, looks at this guy and is like, you, you really can't catch a bullet, right? Like, that's, that's a rumor, right? Then there's a panel of just Ozymandias' face looking at him, and it's a smirk. And it says everything that you'd need in that one panel. There's no dialogue, there's no captions, there's no uh, words, there's no text in the whole bubble, uh, in the whole panel. And it's like, a ama- like just it totally captures that, like, do you think I could? And yeah. it just leaves it. And it's amazing. And it, that's Dave. That's the power of Dave Gibbons' art. But as we know, Rumi, both of us from our, our past and our growing up, Dave Gibbons didn't just draw the seminal, legendary comic Watchmen. I mean, this guy has done tons of stuff. And he's actually been on both sides of the comic book creative team. He's been an, an artist as we've mentioned, but he's also been a writer. He has, and that's actually where I first, I mean, I didn't know him at the time, but we've mentioned it before. Growing up, I wasn't a comic book nerd. I was like a ner- a monster nerd and a-, a movie nerd and stuff like that, and I'd get comics once in a while. But one of the very few comic series that I followed and got as a kid, partially because it was only three issues, was the original Batman vs. Predator crossover. Yeah. And if you look at your issues of that, Dave Gibbons wrote that and it is great it is one of my absolute favorite batman comics it is one of my absolute favorite predator comics 
And it just makes that make sense. Like when we were talking with Kelly Jones and he was talking about Batman and Dracula, it could be hokey. It could be silly. But him and Doug Mensch made that work in such a realistic, like, well, of course that's what it would be like kind of way. And I feel like Gibbons did that with Batman vs. Predator because it just, those two crossing over in the way they do in that book makes so much sense. Well, and and at the time that it came out, Predator was having a great run with his own comic series. I mean, Predator had, they had the, the Concrete Jungle, which was an mm-hmm. awesome Predator series. Uh, Predator vs. Aliens, had, uh, the first run of that had come out, and those were awesome too. Predator was really making his his continued story really making a name for himself in comic books and having him fight the cape crusader again like you said that could be silly as hell but this was the era where batman was getting a little more hardcore i mean he 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 had he had gotten rid of the biff bop pow image in the in the 80s with the comic books and was pretty dark at this point and mm-hmm. the way it was drawn the way it was written Batman versus the Predator. It was just it, it's it just worked, and it and you didn't question it when you're reading it. You weren't like, oh, they're really stretching this, but it, they they made it work, and it's badass. Well, you had like in my opinion, and even as a kid, it had the best the best idea, the best version of Batman. He was the detective, right? First, there's a bunch of murders happening around Batman, so he's yeah. got to figure out, okay, what are the clues here? Why are these people being murdered? What's the common thread? Who might be doing this? What weapons might they be using? The murders were bloody as hell. This is actually this is actually a historical comic to a certain extent because it's one of the first times that a um, cross publisher crossover worked on such a huge level. This is now DC doing Batman, Dark Horse doing Predator, and they're working together due to this co- crossover, and it just flew off the shelves. One of the first comics that at least I remember in my experience having variant covers. There was an Arthur Sudam, I think is his name, uh, who did some beautiful painted covers. Those were like the, I forget, the, like the director, the exclusive covers. And then they had Chris Warner did the regular covers for the three issues. And you had Batman investigating these grisly murders, which were really not DC's cup of tea, but more like Dark Horse was not afraid of blood and severed body parts and some, some real brutal violence. And this book has that. And in my, my mind, that's what Gotham's like. So Predator would be drawn to a place like Gotham and and that, you know, Batman finding decapitated people hanging in their own shower yeah. is not necessarily the craziest stretch. Like Superman in that situation would be like, whoa, that's kind of out of his element, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Superman would shit his little red pants. Well, Lois, <laughs> uh, I need to call Bruce. <laughs> Uh, but this this made sense, you know, and then when they start actually fighting, Batman is not prepared at the beginning. He's not prepared for how and why Predator fights. But then, you know, because it's a comic, but also because Pre- Batman is such a genius, he kind of figures out what Predator's deal in is, how to fight him, what are his weaknesses. And it has a great climactic clash at the end where it's like, and it's got one of the, I don't want to spoil it. If you guys haven't read it, it's definitely worth checking out. But the fucking last issue, it's got a climactic fight where they fight and the way it ends and who is determined the victor. It, it, I mean, it's Batman and Predator gold. Don't you agree? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I do want to spoil it because this is one of my biggest arguments about Batman is Batman always finds a way to win. And this is the one of the few times where how he beats the Predator, I can justify it as being like, I'm OK with that. Because in most instances, 
I'm one of those people that's like, Batman would die. Batman would be killed instantly. Everybody's like, okay, well, how, mu- okay. how much time does he have to prepare? And this is one of the instances where he admits that him by himself with his mind is not enough, and he needs something extra to give him an edge. It's kind of like Batman cheating, but the way they make it work and the way he figures out what, I mean, he, at the end of the day, he, he gets some super-powered armor, and that's how he fights the Predator. Because the Predator beats his ass so bad yes. the first time that the armor is a walking life support system. Yeah. So not only is it armor to protect him, but without that armor, he couldn't fucking get up. It also has a sonar deflection in it. And here's so, what's really uh, oh, no, cool. No, it has sonar in it so he could see the predator when the predator's cloaked, right? Exactly. But it also is thermal masking so the predator can't see him as well. And I have to say this. The Batman in... The, the, the Ben Affleck, the Batfleck in Batman, Superman, Dawn of Justice, blah, 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 stupid movie... His costume in that movie looks to me like the Batman versus Predator armor. And I think that that is like one of the cool, coolest things about that movie, if not the only cool thing. I'm going to pretend that you didn't say that so we can continue to be friends. <laughs> Wait, that you... the fact. No, no, no. The fact that you're comparing such a cool thing from Batman versus Predator to that shit. I'm saying that, that that shitty movie had a pretty cool costume in it and it reminded me of Batman versus Predator. Just saying. Yeah, and I'm ignoring that you said anything in that movie was pretty cool. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> it's uh, it's so fucking cool. If you guys haven't checked this book out, it is definitely worth checking out. So we're at Comic-Con, and there is a panel with Dave Gibbons, and I say to myself, fuck, it would be great to interview him. I wrote him on social media and tried to get in touch with him beforehand, and I didn't get any response, and I figured I wouldn't. But I was like, maybe I can poach him outside of his panel. And I was like, he's probably going to walk up with security and shit. And remember, dude, that was literally 15, 20 minutes before the panel that you and I hosted, Rumi, for the famous oh, Monsters of Filmland. That was making me nervous, too, because you're like, I'm going to go, I'm <laughs> going to try and push Dave Gibbons. I was like, don't leave me alone. I won't be able to find you again, and then you won't be at the panel, and I'll have to do the whole thing by myself, and it'll be a disaster. And I was getting into, like, a, a little Rumi panic mode, but I went up and you were waiting for me, so it was okay. Well, it was like the, Dave Gibbons' panel was right next to ours. It was literally in the room next door. And I was like, dude, I'm going to get there a half hour early and just wait. And if I see him, I'm going to try to find an opening to non-rudely run up there and talk to him. And I, he walked up with a buddy. He was drinking a coffee. And I waited for a pause. And I ran up. And I was like, excuse me, sir. I said, I'm a huge fan. We've interviewed you for our TV show before. Now we have a podcast. He said, I would love to talk with you, you know, later today or tomorrow. And he at first, he was like... Ah, it's really busy tomorrow because that was our, our big day. I was like, it's really busy tomorrow, but you know what? I could do it on Sunday. You want to do it on Sunday? And I said, oh, that would be wonderful. I said, I would love to talk to you about when you wrote Batman vs. Predator. And he looked up and he looked right at me and he said, that'll be different. I never get to talk about that one. And I was like, oh, this is going to be great. How cool is that? I watched him as he put the Launchpad podcast in his phone schedule. And I was like, I almost tried to take a picture of that, but I was like, no, be professional. (laughs) But I said, no, be professional. And then I shook his hand and he said, okay, you know, meet me at such and such a place at this time. And he said, you have to be on time. He said, if you're even a little bit late, I have other stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to leave. And I said, that's no problem. I said, I will be there early. I said, look for me. I'll be the handsome guy with red hair. And without missing a beat, he said, okay, I'll be the handsome guy with no hair. <laughs> it was so fucking cool. And then the interview was great. I mean, he and the best thing is you can hear it. He gets so excited. 
and we've talked about this before, how fortunate we are that we've met so many people who not only are legends and staples in their respective industries, but they are fans. They love this stuff just as much as we do. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine if somebody came to you go, hey, uh, Batman fights Predator Go, and then you just had to come up with that shit? Like, that's so much fun. And and we get excited talking about, like, Batman and this. We get excited talking about Predator that. Can you imagine being tasked to be like, and then your little story that you get to come up with that most kids are already playing with their G.I. Joes and their Batman toys, <laughs> smash right. them together. You get to do that and then put it out to the world and everybody has to read it. And it's that's freaking awesome. And it shows in the interview. Dude, we've been teasing it. Let's just drop this interview. Let's do it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Launchpad Podcast. We are here at San Diego Comic-Con talking with none other than the legendary Dave Gibbons. Mr. Gibbons, thank you so much for coming on the show. You're very, very welcome. Pleasure to be here. I'm not even really going to introduce you because if you're, <laughs> I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, we've talked about you before. We've interviewed, uh, interviewed you before over at Madefire. You were working on a couple different books with them. This was about two or three years ago. Yeah, that's correct. We yeah. had a TV show called Geek Out. You were amazing. It okay. was fun. You were talking about the importance of being a geek. The, yes, it's a very important thing to be a geek. I mean, San Diego Comic-Con has to be geek central, really. There's, there's geeks of all varieties all shades, all kinds of interests, and uh, it's always a thrill to be here. I always get the feeling that having grown up in England and being the only kid for miles around that loved comics and all this stuff, that I'm so, I sort of come home to my people when I come to San Diego, because everybody that I can see is a geek like me. And that is, I think, the greatest attitude to have, because we as the fans kind of vibe off that, mm. and then we get to see, I mean, this is our, our, our mecca, right? We get to see you guys, the creators, mm -hmm. and, and, and like I'm doing right now, and this is like a, a pleasure to interact with you and be able to speak about stuff that you've done that speaks to me. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I am a fan as well. The, the only reason I'm in this business is because I was a huge comics fan when I was a kid. Sure. W wanted to draw comics, did, did everything I could to, to find out how to do that, to find comics people, try and track down my, my idols and talk, and, and talk to them. So I absolutely get what it is to be, to be a fan. And even though I've worked professionally for God more than 40 years now, in some ways I still am a fan. And, you know, I'm used to going on stage and doing stuff like this but there are still still people when I'm when I met Will Eisner or Harvey Kurtzman I, I turn into the sort of tongue-tied, tongue nervous geek just like everybody else. And I think nerds can scent their own, right? So like, yeah. we know that you're one of us, and that's what makes it such a great relationship. Uh, yes, I would, I would hope so, yeah. You had mentioned drawing. You've been drawing for a long time. You've drawn a couple of books, uh, a very big famous <laughs> book that some people know called Watchmen. I love that book. Your work on it is legendary and has been documented, and I'm sure you've probably been asked a couple questions about that just book before. Just a few over the years, yeah. Um, I'm not going to do that today. Today hey. I want to talk to you, not even about your drawing, but about your writing. Okay. You wrote a book that I loved growing up called Batman vs. Predator. Right. Yes, that's uh, right. I told a lot of people that I had this interview coming up today, and when I explained what I was going to talk to you about, they were like, he wrote that? And <laughs> I mean, this book won an Eisner. This book was super well lauded, and everybody loves it. I think it is a great victory in a lot of different ways. Uh, I kind of want to talk to you about a couple different things about that. Sure. First off, how did that project come to be? Was it your idea to pit those two together? Or if not, how did that come into your lap? No, I believe it was Mike Richardson of Dark Horse Comics who approached me. I think at that time there was a bit of a vogue for doing crossovers be between companies, mm -hmm. and particularly with 
Batman, you know, because sure. ba Batman has always been a huge character, and the idea of of combining different uh, um, other franchises with with him, and it was it was I think Mike Richardson who dreamt the whole thing up, and he knew because uh, he he's got to know me quite well over the years. I was really keen to expand my writing mm -hmm. area. And obviously coming off the back of Watchmen, my name had a certain, what they call marquee value, you know. Well, you say had like that's a past well, tense thing, right? Well, well or I had, had assumed a certain marquee okay. value. And yes, <laughs> thanks very much. I would like to think that persists to this day. Although I would like to think it doesn't persist just because of Watchmen. But no, anyway. and Batman versus Predator, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they asked me if, if I would like to write it. And I thought, yeah, this could be good because it's very primal. It's Batman versus this alien hunter. It sounds like you could get a good, good, good bit of drama right. there. Um, originally, interestingly enough, um, Jeff Darrow was was going to draw it. But, oh, but, can you imagine how that would? I mean, looked. Jeff is a phenomenal artist and a good friend of mine, but he doesn't work very, very quickly. Sure. So who they put on it instead were the Cubert brothers, Adam right. and Andy Cubert, um, who I hadn't met at that time. I'd, I'd met their dad, the really legendary. Sure. You, you call me legendary, and I'm flattered, but the really legendary Joe Cubert. Um, and I, I'd seen their work, and they had that right kind of savage uh, kind of feel to they the, did. the So they were wonderful, wonderful artists for it, and they made a, made a great job of the artwork. Um, it was a fairly straightforward story. It was, it was, it culminated in, in a showdown between Batman and, and, and the Predator. And I felt that I'd said what I had to say about what uh, Batman would do if faced with Predator. Absolutely. Um, it did very well, as you say, and they offered me a sequel. But I thought, really, I've kind of said what I've had, had to say. And I, I couldn't think at that point of any direction that appealed to me to, to take it in. So, And sometimes if you've done something right, and this probably applies to Watchmen as well. If you've done something right, leave it the hell alone, sure. walk away. I agree, and I think most of the fans probably agree. There were actually two sequels to this book. They were okay, but I feel that yours really was groundbreaking. I mean, not only in the way that comics worked at the time, because then crossovers became way more prevalent because of the success of this book, but I work in film. I do practical special effects and creatures and whatnot, right, like, right. like the Predator suit. Right. And that book, both your writing as well as the Kubert's art, it is so cinematic. You can right. see that on a screen. You can feel the atmosphere of the rooms that are there. You can feel the dread of certain characters in scene. Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, obviously I wrote it to be a comic, but it has got the structure, you know, that classic three-act movie structure. You know, sure, yeah, there's it does. Act one, and at the end of Act one, our, our hero, Batman, is down for the count. Mm -hmm. And then in part two, everything goes to hell. And then at the end of Act two, Batman comes back, and then... Act three is the is the showdown, the resolution, and and the epilogue. So absolutely, absolutely. It, it just felt as a three issue series. It had that structure, and of course, having seen the Predator movies and seen Batman on screen, I could visualise it in a very movie filmic way. Um, and certainly, again, I, I can't overstress what the Cubits brought to it, which sure. was a real moodiness and a real in-your-face excitement. You Absolutely. Know? Now, let yeah. me ask you: you mentioned the three-arc structure and whatnot about how the story flowed, and it does. It. I mean, you take two characters that are in totally separate universes, right? Mm -hmm. And you you put them together. Sometimes it will work. Sometimes it won't. And Sometimes it's the writer's job to kind of make that work. Now, mm -hmm. I feel that those two characters were not a stretch to bring together. No. But as far as crafting the story that you did, yeah. was that difficult? Were there any difficult parts? Did it just kind of flow together for you? How was the process of really kind of you know, plotting that story out? 
Yeah, I, I think it, it's a very funny thing when it comes to writing that sometimes you struggle for the plot or you fight you if you you get a little tingle when the idea comes to you that's that's going to work. It's almost like an of course moment. And if you sure. have that of course of course moment, but w w when I I think the way I I started to think about it was. Predator is a kind of a headhunter. He will go after the most powerful prey, mm. the most valiant and unbeatable opponent, because that in in that way he increases his fame. You know that sure. he's come to Earth, he's hunted down the biggest badass in Gotham City, and he's got his head as a as a trophy. So he comes to, to, to Gotham City. First of all, he kills some boxers, the guy who's, I think, the heavyweight champion of sure, the world. And I thought that was a great way to open that yeah, story. Yeah. What a great idea. I, and I was able to, to have that as a scene where we met all the protagonists. We met Bruce. Sure. We, we met the two gangsters who were in opposition. It was really all about conflict, the two gangs opposing mm -hmm. each other. You know, once I, I realized that it was, it was a pretty primal contest, you know, I had to give the predator the, the, the motivation to go after Batman. Like, why would he go after Batman? Sure. So once I established, yes, he would go after Batman because he's the biggest badass in the room, mm -hmm. then the rest of it came. And then I thought, well, Batman just as a guy in a, in a fabric suit against a, a predator, that's a hard stretch. So we ended up with Batman being in, in armor. Sure. So, it, it, so the, the sonar thing, armor so yeah. he could get the predator's, predator's invisibility and also wouldn't see the uh, yeah. Batman's heat. So, so the whole thing went up there. And then I thought, where do they have a showdown? Where, you know, um, is it going to be just on the rooftops of Gotham? And I thought, no, no, I know what's going to happen. It'll be in the Batcave. Batman will kidnap the Predator and take him to a controlled environment mm -hmm. because he'll stand a better chance of beating him there. And I can never resist, even in the most dramatic and grim things, having a little bit of humour. Um, and what Batman actually delivers the coup de grace with is a bat. bat. It's a baseball bat. Yeah. And I, I just thought, you know, he's the Batman, so he bats it. Play you know? on that, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And and I, I, was, I was very happy as well as well I mean there are maybe scenes I could have improved I was very happy at the very end because once he's defeated the predator mm -hmm. suddenly the, a, a predator spaceship appears sure. and, and you think oh my god he's never going to beat all them but they get it and they realize this guy has vanquished one of them so they give him the sword as, as a amazing, mark of respect right? and then go and I thought yeah that's how you have to finish it because Batman can't take on the whole predator nation you know? sure now I, I know you guys can't see this but Mr. Gibbons as he's explaining that he's so excited his face <laughs> is so animated you are a fan and we could see that as no. far as that ending goes it was pitch perfect to that story, those characters, I mean, it couldn't have spoken more true to both characters at the same mm. time. Is oh, that? I mean, really, yeah, there's yeah. no other way that story could have ended satisfactorily. Yeah. Is, is there, when you were writing that story, was that ending in your mind when you started, in the middle, or did you get all the way to the end before you figured out that's how it was going to uh, No, I mean, my general approach is to plan everything out be beforehand. Mm -hmm. So I would have done a kind of syn synopsis or a, or a treatment of the whole thing so that I had all the main story beats, all, all, all the main scenes, and then focused in on the specifics of the scenes. So I didn't really start scripting it until I had that ending in mind, until I knew where, where I was going to. And knowing that... 
you know, what you have to do is escalate things. Mm-hmm. So it's like Batman is saved by by the car. Okay, okay. Sure. but yeah. then he can't leave it at that. He's got to go back and do battle. So then he puts on the armor, mm-hmm. and then he's he's got to lure the predator back to the Batcave. You know, and then and then Alfred's at peril, and then, right. you, you know. So I, I I would always work out the main beats of the story and make sure that it had a satisfying dramatic structure. It's very strange, actually. You were you were asking about, you know, inspiration and when you first get an idea. There was another story that I wrote around about the same time called Superman Cal, mm-hmm. which was one of the, those Elseworlds stories, okay. which kind of what would have happened if Superman, instead of coming to Earth from Krypton and landing in Kansas in the 20th century, had landed in Europe in the Middle Ages. Okay. Okay. So it was a whole thing about a medieval culture and witchcraft and Baron Luthor in his castle and, and, and everything like that. And I, I knew I, I wanted to write a, a Superman Elseworlds story and I actually injured my eye and I was unable to draw for a bit and I was sat in the chair at home thinking, ah, oh, what am I going to do? I, yeah, that's Superman Elseworlds story. How am I going to do that? And I sat there and literally the whole story came into my head. Every scene of it. I, I, I got a picture in my head of Superman ripping a portcullis gate off mm-hmm. a castle. And from there, the whole thing, it was like, I don't know if you ever did science at school, when you make a solution of, of, of uh, chemical crystallized, suddenly it all just goes ping. Right, right. That's what that story was like. But that doesn't always happen. And in the case of Bat- Batman and Predator, I, I had the feeling that I had the general shape right. But I did really make sure that the structure was right before I started scripting that's excellent and it really it really does come across can you um can you tell me what appeals to you real quick for batman and predator as characters wow um you try to boil that down to a man, couple of you know, well i think to take predator first he is a hunter that, mm-hmm. that's all he cares about he's got an alien code of honor he doesn't have great regard for life including his own mm-hmm. you know he, he is he wants to go out there and get the best trophy to be the champion the the alpha predator that's that's really what that motivation is sure and of course i i also like the inscrutability of it uh, that you you can never tell quite what he's thinking and his code of logic is not an earthly code of logic so that makes him an, an intriguing character and also there's some wonderful visual powers like when like when he can see with heat vision as, as mm-hmm. it were or, or when he puts the the targeting dots on you and you sure. know you know your numbers up um but but batman was that so much has been said about batman so many people have done different versions of, of batman to me he is a dark knight he is a grim warrior you know he's seen his parents gunned down his response to that is to to try and eradicate crime he's clearly slightly psychotic he's just on this side of being sane i've i've always thought agreed um and um um it's it's all about um even with Predator, it was about protecting Gotham. He didn't want this Predator going around killing people in Gotham. So he t- he attacked him head on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what Batman does. Uh, but not completely blindly physically. He had a logic to it. He planned out, okay, I'll, I'll get better, I'll heal. I will construct this suit. I will go and get the Predator. I will entice him onto the Batmobile. I will take him to the Batcave. So there, although Batman has a psychotic edge, he's very logical. He's, sure, he's yeah. very, very strategic in the, in, the, in, the, in the way he thinks. So that was kind of how I saw the, the two characters. 
And I, uh, growing up, I was actually, I didn't become a comic nerd until like my mid-20s. Growing up, though, I was always a horror guy, and Aliens, Predator, and Terminator were my favorites. Mm-hmm. So I would, whenever I went to the store, I would pick up whatever Dark Horse issues were on the shelves, because they have all three franchises. Yeah. And I remember at the back, I don't remember what issue it was, I think it was an Aliens issue, there was the, the double-page splash of Batman and the Predator in the trash yard, yeah. and it said, Hunter or Hunted, yeah. over the top of them. And I was like... Oh, I need to get this. <laughs> and like you said before, you know, Batman's methodical. He's, he's logical. And he is a hunter. And yeah. in this case, proves to be the better hunter by luring the predator into his own trap. His right? trap. That, yeah, and yeah. like you said, in that controlled environment. And I think that is a very Batman-esque thing to do. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Good. Yeah. It's amazing. Thank you. Uh, let, me get, let me ask you one more question. To the best of your recollection, do you remember anything that you thought an idea, a plot point, or anything that might not have made it into the published book? Something that either you or Dark Horse was like, ah, let's not do that. Well, no. I mean, I was pretty much left left alone. Um, I forget who the Dark Horse editor was. It may have been Di- Diana Schutz was the Dark, was. Dark Horse editor. And I would speak to her on the phone, and she's a really good editor. She's got a really good sense of story. And we discussed a few a few plot points but nothing major mm-hmm. and from the DC end it was Denny O'Neill who was then the right. Batman editor and I think other than having a lunch with him at San Diego he just left me to do what whatever I wanted it's to do. a lot of trust. I, th- I think they felt I was a safe pair of hands you know um, so it was it was it was great just to be you know much as you enjoyed seeing the characters play it was a great experience to have a couple of characters to play with I mean that's always been my thing and in a way it relates back to the geek thing it's having a chance to play with the DC playbox and the Predator playbox absolutely and get those two figures out and bash them around together just like you did did with action figures you know? and I did that plenty of times growing up I gotta thank you very much for that uh, yeah I gotta tell you too I'm a huge original art collector right and the last time I spoke with you I had just gotten a Ozymandias pinup that was in issue 11 during at the end when he writes, you know, there's a letter at the end of right, that. Right, right, So it's right. a published piece from the original issue right. 11 Right, is this where he's standing there like Michelangelo's yes, David? exactly. Yeah. I, have, I have that. It's at oh, home. Good. And I also have a page from Batman vs. Predator 3, and it's got Batman and Predator in every panel. And wow. that, I mean, that, that one page, and it's a huge oversized page. Yeah. Every time I see it, it just brings me back into... My childhood. Excellent. Well, it does. You know, I, 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 I won't make this a long story, but there's one piece of artwork from my childhood that I redrew as a school school project because I loved it so much. It's a Jack Kirby page from an obscure old title called Race for the Moon. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wrote a foreword for a book in which they reprinted it. And the editor said to me, hey, now we've published the book. The, the artwork is going on heritage auctions. And I, I, I had to have it. I bought it. And so I've now got in my studio, I've got the page of Kirby artwork, inked by the great Al Williamson. I've got that on my, wow. stu- on my studio wall. And every morning when I walk in, that's the first thing I see. And it still gives me that little tingle of, wow, comics are great. That's amazing. And it, that comes across. And, you know, from the fans, thank you very much. As a creator, we know that you're one of us, and it comes across in everything that you do, whether you're writing or drawing. It's, I mean, oh, it's incredible. I'm very pleased to be still part of the team, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, Mr. Gibbons. Thanks very you, much. You're very welcome. Thanks for some very interesting questions. And I've never really talked at much length about Batman Predator before, so it, it felt really fresh to have a chat I about have it. 
at least two hours more questions. I'm going to give you my number. Anytime you want, ring me up. We'll talk about Batman vs. Predator all day. Okay, okay. Thank you very much. Launchpad Podcast, San Diego Comic-Con, the legendary Dave Gibbons. Thank you very much again for taking the time. Thank you. It was a good conversation. I enjoyed it. He just sounds like he's having fun with it, man. And he was. We are so fortunate. We had that whole interview that we did with Tom Holland, and that's a great interview. But once I was packing up the equipment, he and I just started bullshitting. And then I was sitting on his couch with him for another hour and a half just talking about podcasting, talking about horror movies, talking about his movies, talking about where horror is going as a genre. Same thing with Steve Johnson. When I had dinner with Steve Johnson to get a book signed for you, like it just turned into this like bullshitting session that was just fucking so cool. And you're like, these guys are on the same wavelength as I am nerd wise. And it's so cool to get that, you know? Yeah, and and that's rare, and that's kind of what we tried to capture, because you and I were just having stupid conversations about, like, uh, the Punisher (laughs) fighting somebody so-and-so, and and we were always cracking each other up, and it was like, let's start recording it, and it's exploded. It turned into just an amazing ride, and to get people like Dave Gibbons to come and just nerd out with you, that's so much fun. And it really, it was, Mr. Gibbons, it was an honor. Thank you so much. Like I said in the interview, like we have a million more things we could talk to you about, but that was just so great to talk to you about that story. And that story means a lot to me because I had that, I had that book like literally in the early '90s. I had that in the first run when it first came out. And I'm actually, I said it in the interview, I'm lucky enough to have a page, and the page has the two of them in every single panel, and it's great. It's beautiful, uh, Cuba Brothers art, which won an Eisner for, yeah. uh, I believe it was for inking. But can you the imagine art is the that? other thing too? Can you imagine that? Like, I mean, crossovers are such a huge part of nerddom. I don't know why. And we should actually talk about this at some point. Why are crossovers so big? But like even in early cinema, the Universal Monsters were doing it. It's like Frankenstein versus Wolfman, Frankenstein versus Dracula. And I know they were just trying to make make some money off their properties. But like then comic books did it. You know, Batman crosses over all the time. It's awesome when different properties get to meld into a world and you get to see what happens when they play together. And it's like the fact that a, a crossover of Batman versus Predator is winning a prestigious sci-fi award, that blows my mind. Sure, sure. And I think, again, that just speaks to, you know, you have Gibbons writing and the Kubert's drawing. That's three superstars just fucking knocking it out of the park. And like I said, I think he took it seriously. And I think he wasn't just like, all right, let's just throw these two guys in the same city and have them fight. He yeah. wrote a story that, like, makes sense and it has an arc. And, like, you know, each character acts like he should you know what i mean and i feel like a lot of times when people write that kind of shit they like you know superman versus so and so it's a superman writer writing it he doesn't necessarily have the same passion for whatever the crossover character is but at least in this book man for sure you get the you get the the feeling that dave gibbons knows and loves the predator he knows what to do you know the more i think about it it's like sometimes these crossovers are some of the best material to come out of it because the people are who love these characters and it's not just a cash grab mm-hmm. they they are trying their hardest to put these characters into something in a way that works i'm thinking you know like you mentioned the kelly jones batman versus dracula that worked really well and it shouldn't and then i'm thinking like freddy versus jason is a movie that shouldn't work but it's actually one of the strongest films of both franchises for what it is and it's like, mm, yeah, yeah. People tried their hardest and came up with the best way to combine these things. And you'd think that most of the time it fails, but I'm trying to think of times where it really just was a miserable failure. And I can't think of a lot of crossovers that were just massively terrible. 
Like, and right now, the Predators, a bunch of Predators came down and fought the Justice League, and they had their power. Like, one was stretchy to fight Plastic Man. One was Batman. I don't know what his fucking power was. One was Superman Predator. It was abysmal. <laughs> and it was so... <laughs> it was ridiculously stupid. <laughs> it was, dude, it was so dumb. And then, it, and it was also... Uh, like we said at the beginning of of this episode, it had a lot of the um like like Batman vs Predator with Gibbons and the Cuberts was dark. It was gritty. The story was gritty. The art was gritty. This was like Saturday morning cartoon. Like the Predator was like boop boop boop, gonna get you guys. There was I don't know that there was. It certainly wasn't gory. And I'm pretty sure like you're worried about Batman when you read Batman vs Predator. He gets yeah. his ass fucking stomped the first time, and Predator is not fucking around. Predator's not here to to beat you in a fight oh yeah he's playing for keeps for sure skull yeah the justice league one you do not get that sense of urgency or or (laughs) danger (laughs) oh man do you remember when predator versus archie happened i remember i haven't read it though have you read it i haven't read it my brother has it see it was even on sale the other day on comiXology for three dollars and i was like I'm going to research that because I do not know if the entire series is worth $3. <laughs> oh, but from what from what my brother says is it they make it work. It's actually pretty messed up and dark. He ends up killing like Jughead or something, which I think is pretty hysterical. All right. Yeah, I don't know if that one works as well as not, but that does I had never seen The Predator versus Justice League. That does sound terrible. Dude, <laughs> I mean, if you guys have not seen that yet, look at. I mean, even from the cover, no offense to the artist, but from the cover it's like, uh <laughs> I just want to see a stretchy predator now. <laughs> you you will not be you will not be as excited once you do, have. Seen. Do they then have the predator that's like the Aquaman predator? And he just lies on the ground, flops around. He's like, I can't breathe. <gasps> I can't breathe. I'm trying to remember which one. There was a there was there was a Green Lantern one. There was a Wonder Woman one. I think there was a Superman one. There was oh a my god, what, was it a big boobid predator? No, she wasn't. I don't even know if it was a girl. I think it just had a lasso. Oh my god! I don't remember. It's been a while. It was one of those books, like Batman vs. Predator. I must have read two dozen times in my life. Predator, Aliens vs. Predator. I must have read that two dozen times in my life. <laughs> Justice League vs. Predator. I limped my way through it one time. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I've been that way where you're reading comic books and you're like, oh, I'm just gonna look at the pictures from here on out. And he's just like, eh. yeah, it was like because well, like a good book, like again, Batman vs. Predator or Watchmen is the greatest fucking example. I'll read the dialogue in a panel, look at the picture, go to the next panel, do the same thing all the way through the page. But then something like, especially Watchmen, I'll go back and re-look at all the pictures and really study the pictures. You have close. to. That's yeah. exactly what I was going to say is that I have to read it twice, once just to look at the art. Like The, the, the words are so dense. I mean, it, it is a pretty dense book, but the words have so much going on and then the pictures have so much going on, you almost have to do... P- who passes at it because it is so interesting in both aspects. Like what you're reading is so literary and has so much depth to it. And then what you're looking at really feeds the story. And there's stuff happening in the background that's alluding to things that are happening way later in the book that you have to pay attention to or, or that you can find little Easter eggs, little uh, allusions to what's happening next. And I'm like, this is brilliant. I mean, that, that seriously, if you haven't read Watchmen, Pick it up. You won't regret it. It should be on your shelf. Even if you aren't a huge comic book fan, owning Watchmen and just being able to read it once, it will really change the way you look at superheroes, especially in today's age when everything is superheroes. 
So I'm looking at, there's a, I'll give a shout out to someone I don't even know. There's an avp.wiki xenopedia, the aliens vs. predator wiki. And there's okay. a whole thing about it. And at the end, it's, it's talking, this is Justice League. Amongst the other things it says, it says, JLA versus Predator is often panned and even ridiculed by fans and critics as a quote-unquote cheap cash-in, and at times perhaps the silliest of all the crossover comic stories. It is, to say the least, the campiest of the Dark Horse DC crossovers and even features a Predator version of Plastic Man. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I'm going to look Just this up right up now. And I'm regretting I'm every second to see, of it. like if there's any fun... <laughs> yeah, Graham Nolan did. Graham Nolan was was on the art for uh, Nightfall. He's a big artist. Um, I'm looking here right now, and I see a picture of. Is his name Plastic Man? Yeah, with the, Turn, gla- with the turned the into a jet with like teeth on the front of the jet. It, <laughs> I mm-hmm. don't know what I'm looking at. Oh my gosh, dude! Whoever's keeping track of like sales is now going to get a bump because. One of our fans is gonna go find it and read it somewhere, and yeah. the alarm is gonna go off and be like, "This book is still being read." <laughs> <laughs> Quick, put out a sequel. Oh man, there's a Predator versus Judge Dread. There's multiple Predator. There's an there's a Predator versus Judge Dread. I believe there's two Aliens versus Predator versus Judge Dreads. I actually just got the most recent one, which is from the last two or three years. I haven't read it yet though. But the cover art is by Glenn Fabry, I think, and it's beautiful. Oh man. So, Rumi, we, we have to do this. I know we've been talking about it, but let's just do it. We got to do a Predator versus episode. Oh. We got to do an episode where we just come up with the most crazy Predator crossover fights. I want to do Predator versus everybody, dude. Could, could you imagine, like, a Predator versus Daredevil? If Daredevil was wearing a warm jacket, they would, neither one would be able to see each other. I know, right? How crazy is that? Don't talk about it. We got to do it in an episode. And yeah, that's. I was I was about to give you two other examples, and I was like, no, I no. will wait for a future episode. Okay, we, yeah. Let's do it soon. Let's do it soon. Okay. We got the new Predator movie coming out in September. We will drop a Predator versus Everybody episode by the time the movie comes out. Deal? Let's do it. Awesome. So that's it, guys. That is our Comic-Con drop. That is all our Comic-Con content from Comic-Con 2018. Thanks for listening, guys. You made it one of the best months the Launchpad Podcast has ever had. I'm serious. It exploded. That Anosenti episode, boom. Thanks for tuning in to the Sideshow episode, boom. The stuff we did with Kevin Eastman, explosive. We had so many people hitting us up. Everybody tuning in, letting us know what they like, letting us know what they thought. We really appreciate it. You can keep up with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at LaunchpadPod, and on our website at LaunchpadPod.com. Guys, we cannot wait to get back to basics. Next week, we're going to be doing a little What Have You Been Watching with Coyotes, an image comic. We get to talk to Sean Lewis, the author of Coyotes. We have fun with that. He wrote Saints for Image Comics, and he's currently doing Coyotes. That's pretty fun. And then coming up, we have an awesome guest on the Launchpad podcast. I'll give you a little tease to what it is. <laughs> Do you like scary movies? That's not bad. That's not bad. Yeah, I'm getting better at it. Do you like scary movies? That wasn't as good. <laughs> Do you like scary movies? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, we get to talk to the voice of Ghostface. But he does it better than either of us, I promise. <laughs> That's a fun episode. Another one that I'm really proud yeah. Uh, so yeah, check that. We have a, 
we always say this, but I like we really mean it. Like talk about fans. We're fans, not necessarily of our own stuff, although we are, but like we're fans of these people that we get to talk. We're fans of these topics that we get. We're really excited to share them with you guys, and we love that you guys are excited as we are. So please, please keep listening to us. Uh, Rumi, where can these people find all of our stuff? I already dropped it. I already did that. I did beep, that boop, beep, boop. Okay, you can cut that out. Take two. Click. Clap. <laughs> Action. Cut. And print. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guys. Till next time. We're the Rocketeers, and we're out. Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff.